really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty head over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit to make this game. It didn't seem to work out. Cheers and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, you know what? I would love to hear from you. I always do. I'm easy to find on all your socials, and you can always just drop me an email at the scrum of the earth at gmail.com. So Last couple of weeks, I've been asking for two more listeners to please sign up to support the show so far with no luck. So, uh, you know, if the, if the holiday spirit is in any danger of moving you, just take a moment to sign up through the links provided in the show notes. And thanks, as always, for helping keep the show on the air, so to speak. Um, the only way independent creative work can sustain itself is through support from people who value it. So if you've been on the fence, take the leap. Anyway, with the admin out of the way, why don't we get this show on the road? Well, as always, we start with our current updates, and it, it's getting into holiday party season around here, and our, our dance card as a family is perhaps a little fuller than I'd like it to be, but, you know, on the other hand, I feel kind of silly complaining about, you know, seeing people that I love and raising some glasses of cheer. Um, so a couple we know had their annual holiday party on Saturday. It was amazing. I, I swear, I'm such a dork. It's inspired me to create some sort of annual tradition of our own that we can potentially host. But it was also just a great chance for our kids to hang out. They're just one year apart. And it's, I don't know, it's just always gratifying to see the two of them in action. They're just such good boys. Uh, in this case, we actually put them to work as coat check kids. And, so, and one party goer actually slipped them 10 bucks each before he left. So my son was very pleased with that. Um, he was pleased as punch, as they say, which was apropos of the celebratory beverage of the evening. So to everyone listening, I hope you enjoy festive spirits and warm friendship over the next few weeks. The holidays can be very stressful and difficult for many of us, and I, I hope you're able to sort of hit the pause button and relax and ultimately find some perspective on the things for which you're grateful. I, for one, have a lot. It's stupid! It's People have to know! Yes, Isa, it is good news this week as Rugby Australia has announced that former England captain Joe Yap has been appointed the new head coach of Australia women on a two-year deal. Yap becomes the first female head coach of an Australian senior national team in a major football code. The 44-year-old who was director of rugby at Worcester Women until October has twice uh, twice coached the Barbarians. Quote, I'm looking forward to getting started and building further towards the 2025 Rugby World Cup, Yap said. It is a great honor. I have fond recollections of battling Australia as a player, and you cannot help but be impressed by the strides the Wallaroos have made in the past couple of years. From a, uh, for a semi-professional team to reach the knockout stages of the World Cup last year and to then finish third in the WXV tournament this year is a huge testament to the talent in the country, unquote. Before the announcement of Yap's arrival, no senior Australian national team in rugby union, rugby league, Australian rules football or association football had hired a female head coach. Yep, of course, won 70 caps for England, including three uh, at including at three World Cups in 98, 2002 and 2006 before becoming head coach of the England under 20s women's team and is working uh, and working as director of rugby at Exeter University. After being promoted from skills coach to director of rugby at Worcester, Yap took the club, uh, club to sixth in the Premier 15s before they folded after the loss of funding. Quote, this appointment is a crucial one as we work towards our goal of continuing to grow women's rugby in Australia, said CEO Paul Waugh. 
It's a huge opportunity for our game as we continue to grow sustainably as investment increases in the coming years. Joe is a highly sought-after coach, and I am confident that she's the right person to lead the development of the Wallaroos program as we look towards the next World Cup in England in 2025. Unquote. This is great news. I've heard nothing but good things about her. This is just really exciting, and uh, the Wallaroos are obviously going to be even better for her hiring. Okay, moving on to our thoughts of the week. The MLR schedule for 2024 has finally been released. Like, I'm just, I'm talking like hours ago as I record this. I'm obviously very excited about it. I will be joining my buddy Phil from the Jacks Rangers show later on his show this week to go through all of our way too early predictions, a tradition that he's got at his show, which I, I got to confess, I wish I had thought of that. It's a great, you know, this whole series of segments. It's so much fun. So, you know, keep an eye on all your socials for more updates as I get them. I will, of course, have lots more to say about the schedule soon, but I, I just don't want to run over time this week, so we're going to have to leave it at that. Well, that brings us to our reviews, and naturally, we start with round two of the Champions Cup. The weekend, of course, kicked off on Friday with Northampton hosting Toulon, and I think it's officially time for me to accept that the Saints are good. Uh, their 28-19 success at Glasgow last week lifted them to the top of Pool 3, ahead of English rivals Exeter Chiefs on points difference, and director of rugby Phil Dowson is eager for his side to continue that form. Quote, we want to be dining at the top table, and that means beating some of the best French sides. Toulon are currently second in the top 14, he said. We will relish that, and we're preparing for the game appropriately. He continued, the win against Glasgow was very similar in some ways to the Saracens game. We had a good start and got in amongst it, unquote. So, Toulon, they might have fielded a slightly less than fully serious side, but, oh, that back three, woof. However, it was danger signs for the Saints as Agent Furbank, he tweaked his knee a bit in the warm-ups, a bit of a limp as he came out. Uh, Furbank, of course, was captaining the side, and all six times he'd done so in the past, his team had won. Even worse signs, though, as everybody's suddenly favorite player, Finn Smith, had to be helped off the field. The momentum seemed to swing in favor of the visitors. However... Another exciting finish in this competition. Toulon gave up a double yellow card and up two players. The Saints were able to pound one through for a spicy 22 to 19 win. The crowd erupting. And I think the Northampton bandwagon has officially started rolling down this hill. Bayonne versus Glasgow was our other Friday match, and ahead of the game, Stafford McDowell was predicting a memorable atmosphere at the, st uh, the Stade Jean Dugues. Is it Doge, I think, for the Pool 3 encounter, particularly after Bayonne held Munster to a cracking 17-all draw in Ireland in round one. Quote, these are the days that you play for, to go away to a team you've never played before, he said. I've heard a lot about their fans already and the atmosphere they create. It's going to be a special one for us. Prophetic words from McDowell. So this one turned into an absolute cracker. He was right. The atmosphere was amazing. I'm, I'm such a fan of the massive marching bands that often show up for these top 14 teams. It's just this constant cacophonous din. It's so cool. So not a high-scoring affair for sure, but lots of back and forth, lots of exceptional defense. Josh McKay's try right on the cusp of the final quarter would end up being the difference, though Reese Hodge twice missed long-range penalties that would have flipped the result. I'm telling you, even as he lined him up, because I've watched this guy a lot, all I can think was, it, it's Reese Hodge. He's going to have more than enough distance, but he's missing this, and he was true to form. Anyway, the Warriors would hold on just barely for an 11-12 win to the hoots and hisses of the Bayonne faithful. Next up was Stormers back at home for La Rochelle, and 
it was a gorgeous day in Cape Town. So whatever the storm's problems are right now, it's nothing to do with the conditions. They just don't look right to me in general this year. And La Rochelle were happy to take advantage, leading 9-20 to in the second half. Stormers, however, they were keen to defy my assessment, closing that gap and eventually grabbing a powerful mall try with just a minute to play. The pressure, of course, was on LeBoc, taking the conversion out as wide as it gets, but he aced it. An amazing comeback win to keep the reigning champs winless. 21 to 20 by the end. Breathless stuff. Saracens versus Connacht was next, and in the lead-up, Owen Farrell said, quote, obviously, with the World Cup that Bundy Aki and Mac Hansen played, Bundy was one of the best players in the tournament. I'm sure that they'll be looking to bring that form back to Connacht, and they'll be a tough test. But again, you look forward to these days at home in the Champions Cup, unquote. Of course, Connacht were actually without Mac Hansen, who limped off midway uh, through the first half at the sports ground, as well as fullback Tiernan O'Halloran and Locke, I think it's Oyson Dowling. Uh, as far as players who were available, it was, of course, Jack Cardi's 200th appearance for Connacht. His team edged ahead for an 8-17 to lead after a half hour gone by. After that, however, oh man, the Saracens just sort of pressed that turbo button and outscored their guests 35 to nothing over the next half hour. Connacht, unlike last week, didn't throw in the towel completely, and they did manage to make it somewhat interesting, but in the end, it went the way you'd probably expected. Saracens getting a big 55 to 36 victory in a, a bit of a weird one, I have to say. So Bordeaux Begla versus Bristol was next. The, the Bristol Bears came into it having made more offloads than any other team in round one, with flanker Fitz Harding responsible for four of them. And uh, he is excited by taking on another French side, albeit on their own ground. Quote, it's a bit different, but it's always a challenge, he said. As a group, we know how passionate the French are about their club rugby, so away games like that are something we really look forward to and will hope to take advantage of what should be a great evening, unquote. So they were looking to notch their third successive win, but their first away from home since October of 2021 when they triumphed 33-27 to at Northampton Saints, which <laughs> accounted for their eighth place currently in the Premiership. So my Border Beagles... They have quietly built an incredible roster over the last few years. The comms predicting that their halfback pairing of Luku and Jalibert might be the starting combination for France this February. They also coldly informed us that Bears were only in this competition because of the demise of London Irish, which I guess I hadn't really realized. So Bristol's response to this fact was sending out their kids to face six World Cup players for France. Could have been a huge blowout, but Bristol, they acquitted themselves rather well considering the apparent power uh, power differential. Bordeaux took their sweet time to eventually get the victory, along with a coveted bonus point, taking down the Bear Cubs 36-17. to Lyon versus the Bulls was our next offering. The Bulls were certainly in fine form, having won six of their eight matches so far this season to rise to third place, whereas Lyon have, have struggled a bit in the top 14 and were occupying the 12th position after only three wins out of nine matches. Quote, we're currently happy with how we're playing, uh, Marcel Cotsia said ahead of time. It's always the case that you have to get rid of the rust in the first few games, but what also helps is that this season we implemented a new system with which we want to get everyone involved on the field. The pace and the standards are greatly increased in the process, and everyone knows where we stand. It also helps that we've added experienced guys like Wilco Lowe, Akko van der Merwe, and Jakob van der Valt, who gained good experience in Europe. That experience counts for a lot. The World Cup box also brought back experience, which is to our advantage. We want to be in a position where if we lose players, there simply have to be other guys who can take their places. It has started to work very well for us lately, unquote. So 
this one looked to me like a much sterner test for the Mighty Bulls. But Lyon, they were in the mood to make tons of mistakes and found themselves behind at the intermission. It did turn into a really good game. The lead sort of seesawing back and forth. Lyon, they managed to squeak out of there with a one-point win at home, 29-28, to our third one-point win game of the week, and it's still early. So then we were, of course, off to Dublin for Leinster versus Sale. Listening to a couple Irish pods this week, there was palpable disappointment that the that the Sharks opted for, let's say, a heavily rotated squad. Uh, the expectation was that it would be an absolute bludgeoning rather than the close contest it might have been, which, of course, meant I was instantly rooting for Sale. The comms were clearly annoyed by this as well, detailing the gulf between these two sides. Leinster starting 14 internationals with 470 caps between them, while Sale fielded 14 caps between just four players. So the visitors managed to score first, and then it was a yellow against Leinster. Sale actually took a small lead into the lockers at the break. Were we in for a huge upset? No, no. The answer was no. Leinster, of course, eventually remembered how this story was supposed to go, turning up the heat in the second half. The Sharks certainly didn't quit, even got their third try with the clock gone red, making it a respectable 37-27 to 27 as a final score. Potentially bad news for the home team as well as Charlie Natai went off the, on, on the, the, the meat wagon there which with uh, what looked like a nasty knee injury. Let's hope it's not as bad as it looked at the time. Up next, of course, it was Cardiff hosting Bath. Cardiff were looking for a bounce-back win after suffering a 52-7 to loss at the hands of Toulouse. But powered on by their home support, back row Josh Turnbull backed his side to prove themselves, quote, we've had a pretty good record at home in EPCR competitions, he explained. We've played Harlequins a couple of times in the past few years. We have a good record against Bath rugby as well. It's nice to test yourself against these English teams. Their style of rugby is a bit different to ours. We like to play a, a loose head style of rugby in terms of how we play, move the ball about and play fast on the artificial turf we've got. Hopefully that can give us the upper hand, unquote. In the game itself, Josh Adams, man, he had a great sort of just shove you out of the way try. What a player he is when he's on his game. Not like there's a newsflash or anything. Speaking of great players, of course, Finn Russell's pen to make it 17 all approaching a half hour. What a shot. That man is on fire right now. Match got pretty tight. It was 32 to 24 just past the 50 minute mark, but Bath went ahead very late and just, just kind of held on Finn's emphatic kick, closing that door 32 to 39 and Bath. Man, they looked really good. After that, it was on to Ulster versus Racing 92, a match a match featuring 24 internationals between the two sides. The Belfast-based team suffered a disappointing 37-14 loss at Bath last weekend, and there, there was clearly pressure on them to get things sort of back on track. Ian Henderson said, quote, As a team, I feel we... We do really well when outside pressure comes on, playing with that chip on the shoulder mentality, said the Irish international. We understand that when we're out there playing, we're not trying to do it for anyone else. We're trying to do it for each other, unquote. Last season, Ulster Rugby made the knockout stages after another disappointing defeat to an English side when they suffered a, a heavy 39 to zip loss to Sale Sharks. But there was at least more for Ulster Rugby to celebrate in this year's opening match against Bath with the Irish province scoring two tries courtesy of fly half Billy Burns and scrum half Nathan Doak, who kicked both conversions uh, for Henderson's longtime teammate, Stuart McCloskey, the Racing 92 game offered an opportunity to build on the positives quote. We always seem to do well against French teams at home. He said, uh, it's key. We have them at home. I feel like we can beat anyone at home. Our home record in Europe is very good. So we'd like to keep it that way. Unquote. 
fairly early on, Rob Herring, he took a headshot that literally spun him around. You could almost see the tiny cartoon canaries chirping and flying around him. And in a moment that, frankly, made me kind of sick to my stomach, the Ulster staff tried to argue that he should remain on the field. What is even happening with that? Luke Pierce, to his credit, insisted. But the fact that he needed to is just disgusting, really. Anyway. Ulster lost four lineouts in the first 12 minutes, but somehow still looked dom- dominant. It was a, a bit weird, I guess. Rassing, they couldn't get anything going. Legarek, though, he had a really standout game for the visitors. His no-look reverse pass that went a full 30 meters to Fiku almost made the, the comms just fall out of their chairs entirely. Rolls-Royce Rolls rugby, they called it. But it was Ulster in control the whole way. It was exactly the performance that I predicted early in the URC season, but this was the first time we'd actually seen it. It was an amazing atmosphere at the Kingspan. The fans who braved the frigid conditions were well rewarded with an emphatic 31-15 win in Belfast. Quick side note, as a John Cooney fan, I was glad to see him getting the start and going almost the entire 80. Nothing against Nathan Doak, who I also think is really good, but Cooney, to me, he just looks like he deserves that nine jersey right now. Then... Exeter versus Munster was up. Uh, I didn't watch this one because I have too much self-respect to watch the Chiefs play at home. Uh, the result was a surprising win, 32-24 to at racist Dimwit Stadium. Harlequins versus Toulouse looked like potentially the game of the week. The comms said at the start, it's crisp and it's dry and it's Quinns and it's Toulouse. You know, sometimes the simple explanations are the best. Quinns, of course, had been uh, boosted by their thrilling 31-28 triumph at top 14, leading Racing 92 last weekend, which was a rare win in France for them, along with their domestic form, where they lie third. Last week, Will Evans told Ruck, quote, all the top 14 sides are really, really strong. They have a a bigger budget than a lot of the premiership sides. (laughs) No kidding. Uh, But last weekend, we showed that we can beat the very best of them, so it doesn't really matter who we come up against, especially at home. We feel like we're a real force. We'll rock up at the stoop and try to get five points. We're high on confidence because we've played nine really solid games. We're one point off top of the league, and we've just won our first game in Europe, so there's loads of confidence, unquote. Harlequins also carried a round-high total 651 meters last Sunday and beat 42 defenders, 13 more than any other team in round one. Great stuff. So it was an awesome game, and despite being behind a long way, it felt like Quins were somehow in range, but, I mean, <laughs> that was until the moment. It, it's got to be the clip that, I mean, some of you are probably literally staring at it right now. We'll be watching it for years. DuPont's bit of absolute sorcery. What a sequence. I mean, they've got to use it in marketing the game going forward. Give me a break already. So, I, as you know, I never like to give Austin Healy much credit on comms, but he said, You'd like to try to clip it up for the highlights, but you can't because there's too many elements. And yeah, that was exactly it. Amazing stuff from him. Anyway, Toulouse, they went on to win pretty handily. It wasn't really ever close. Seven tries for the home team. And Harlequins are very confusing for me right now. 19 to 47 was your final score. I I expect there may be some fallout from the let's shove Marcus uh, Smith's head into the ground bit. But I don't know. Maybe it'll just be a Twitter storm. Who knows? Stade Francais versus Leicester was our final fixture for the former Heineken side of the comp. And of course, the drink boxes endured a miserable time in attack in their 28-5 drubbing at Sale Sharks last weekend. They carried the fewest meters in the round with 211, and their tally of two clean breaks was the joint lowest of that round. So 
Sadly, I only caught the first half of this one, and from what I've read, it was a great one. The Tigers managing to hold on to a slim lead to get themselves a lovely away win in Paris, 24 to 27 by the end. Both teams scored three tries. Both teams converted all three, but it was Shilcock's penalty in the 66th minute that gave the visitors the edge. Archie Vaines, a name I had never noticed before and that I might be mispronouncing, quite frankly, scored all three tries for Leicester. I believe this is only his third year with them. Definitely someone I'm going to be keeping my eye on. Okay, over in the Challenge Cup, we were looking at two games on Friday, starting with Scarlet's hosting Black Lion. And one thing about these matches with no commentary, it really allows you to hear all the swearing so much better. <laughs> anyway, for the game itself... Uh, I think it's Yoan Lloyd. He made a fantastic break early on, which led to a, a really nice try from Via Fafita. And I thought they looked confident, almost to the point of cockiness early on there, if that was the case. However, it was badly misguided as Black Lion just slowly ground them down, scoring two tries and slotting three pens to get their first ever victory in this competition while the hosts... I mean, what do you even say? 76 scoreless minutes, a thoroughly crushed group of, uh, group of diehard fans on hand. If their intent was to come watch misty swirling rain and futility, they got just what they wanted. It was a terrible 7-23 to loss to the top Georgian side. Gloucester versus Claremont was up next, both teams having pulled out wins last weekend. But this week, it was Gloucester coming up big. Claremont fielded a, a mix of youth and experience, and it might have backfired as their host built a 22-10 halftime advantage and eventually closed it out 28-17. Saturday featured Oyona versus Zebre. I liked what I saw from Zebre in the second half, coming back from a first-half deficit to scrape out a really nice away win, greatly displeasing the fans at the, st uh, the Stade Charles Masson. I think, am I close there? Maybe. Anyway, it was 14 to 21 by full time. Edinburgh versus Cast was next to my list. Cast's ill discipline is really becoming a big factor for them, giving away a red card early on and just continuing to do all the little things that generally enrage referees. Duhan, he got a, a walk in try on the left wing to get their first lead of the day, but it was set up through the angriest run I've ever seen from Pierre Skuman. He did a little tap and go and then just plowed through three or four defenders like a thresher through a wheat field. The look on his face was thunderous. Just classic stuff from, from Shu. Um, Allie Price, he had a great game, I thought, helping his new team to a try bonus point before halftime. And Cast were losing their cool all over the place. They did find a little bit of traction late, but Edinburgh looked methodical as they put them away 34-21, to 21, getting the full five points and denying their visitors anything. A convincing win for me overall. Benetton versus Perpignan featured a quick shot right at the beginning of both teams' mascots. If you blinked, you probably missed it. Could we please have more mascot coverage? Come on! Anyway, Perpignan, they were in their cool black and gold kit. I'm very seriously considered buying one of those jerseys. Of course, it did them no good getting shut out completely until the 75th minute. Benetton added a final try past the 80-minute mark to get a bonus point. It was 29-7 to in Treviso. After that, it was down to Johannesburg for Lions versus Newcastle. I think there might have been more people on the pitch than actually watching from the stands. It's, it's such a, a sorry state of affairs for them right now. I've heard rumors their franchise might be in big trouble. I, I really do hope they can figure it out. They're a fun side to watch for sure. Certainly against winless Newcastle, they had a chance to make their fans very happy, and it was two tries to two kicks when a Falcon got yellow-carded, making that hill even steeper. So Newcastle were down to 13 players to start the second half, and this one turned into yet another frustrating day for the snake-bitten Falcons, 35-13. to 13. Side note, 
Sanele Nohamba, the, the Lions fly half, really like what I've seen from him this season. He is an absolute firecracker. So Poe versus Dragons was our next offering. Neither side looked particularly interested in, you know, scoring any points for a huge chunk of time. But after watching Dragons take a small lead, Poe managed to regain the advantage heading into halftime 14 to 11. Very late, Dragons edged ahead with a well-timed try, but at the clock past 80, Poe broke through for a heartbreaking score, stealing a win right at the death, 24 to 21 in front of a very relieved home crowd. On Sunday, the Cheetahs actually had a home game taking on the schizophrenic Sharks. They did that weird thing I remember noticing last year where they have Harley Davidsons just driving around the field ahead of the game. Is there something I'm missing with South Africans and motorcycles? Is that a thing? Either way, it was a hot one in Bloemfontein, and I was really excited to see how this one would unfold. I loved the spirit we saw from Cheetahs. They scored first and were opportunistic everywhere, making the Sharks look a little slow as the hosts got their second try of the night. At the 50-minute mark, it was tight. Cheetahs up 18-12, to 12, but with the momentum swinging back and forth like a pendulum between these two teams, it was as good as you could have hoped. With six minutes left, Cohen Jasper, he dusted Werner Koch to score a beauty, 32-29, to 29, which would be how it would end. Cheetahs now just one of four teams with two wins in the Challenge Cup overall. Wow. Montpellier versus Ospreys finished off the European action for the week. It was a hammering Ospreys unable to register a single point until more than 50 minutes had gone by. Montpellier just pure rolling at home. The visitors finding a way to get yellow carded after the clock had passed the 80 minute mark, a rare talent indeed. By the end, it was a big 38 to five to close out an exciting second round in the challenge cup. Okay, over in the PWR, all our games were on Saturday once again, but unlike last couple of weekends, all the games actually went ahead this time. So, things got started with Bristol taking on the Trailfinders. It, it basically turned into the Lana Skeldon show as she nabbed a hat-trick in her team's dominant 41-17 win at home. The Bears poured in seven tries to the Trailfinders' one, though Ellie Green did look good off the tee for the visitors, knocking over four penalties. Meryl Smith converted two of her teammates' tries, then got one of her own right at the death, and Bristol just never looked like they were in it. Uh, Exeter, they were up next, hosting Gloucester Hartbury. This was definitely the closest of the matches this weekend. It was an incredible ending. Exeter going up by a single point via Gabriella Cantorna's penalty kick with just eight minutes left, but... Mia Venner snuck in for a go-ahead try just a minute later, securing the champs another win. It was 27-31 at Sandy Park. Leicester, they, of course, were hoping to get their first win versus Saracens, but uh, let's just say it didn't exactly work out. Saracens, they dropped a full 10 tries on their hapless hosts, racking up the highest score in any competition this weekend, a massive 17-60 final score. Could have been even worse, actually. Uh, they missed half of their conversions, but either way, it was a complete beatdown. Uh, Sophie DeGoody had another great game, uh, getting a, a quarter of her team's total points, and Marley Packer added another try to her overall total. If you had to make any super early predictions, you'd have to favor this team facing off against Gloucester Hartbury in the final in June. Finally, this weekend, Sale took on Loughborough. It ended up being the third home loss of the round as the Lightning doubled up their uh, their hosts 12-24. to Carmela Morrell, she scored a brace of tries within just a 10-minute span to effectively make the difference, leaving Sale along with Trailfinders and Harlequins stuck on just one win for the season thus far. Though, as we talked about last week, the table is a bit screwy at the moment, given the uneven number of fixtures that have been fulfilled. 
Oh, we also had some action in the Rugby Europe Super Cup with the final placement fixtures accepting the actual final, which will be next weekend, presumably so Black Lion wouldn't have to play in two places at the exact same time. Of course, quick shout out, Hugh, on the Pirate Rugby Podcast. He did a great history of this unique club last week. I, again, highly recommend listening if you haven't already subscribed. And based on that, uh, I wouldn't put it past them to have two matches in two completely different countries on the same day. Anyway, this weekend, we had Delta hosting the Bohemia Rugby Warriors in a battle for seventh place. Uh, Delta winning easily, 55-3. to three. The sixth place fixture was a little more competitive with Lusitanos beating Brussels Devils 46 to 29. Finally, it was Iberians at home for the Romanian Wolves to determine who would wear the bronze medal this year. And it would be our only upset of the weekend. The Wolves dispatching their host by a significant margin, grabbing the bronze with an impressive 17 to 41 victory at the National Rugby Center in Amsterdam for some reason. Yeah. Well, by that music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Stuart McCloskey. Mr. McCloskey, your player of the match performance led the way to the most convincing win of the year in any competition for the Ulsterman. 13 carries, four defenders beaten, and a try tossed in for good measure. Your attitude, though, set the standard for a gritty performance throughout an impressive victory. Stuart McCloskey, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Well done, sir. Okay, that brings us, of course, to our updates and previews next week. It is back to business for our primary competitions, which means a ton of festive derbies, along with, let's face it, some really weird schedules. <laughs> so in the Prem, we'll have two Friday fixtures. Newcastle still looking for a win, this time at home against Bristol, while Sale are hosting Saracens. Well, that could be a good one. On Saturday, Exeter host Leicester. Gloucester are back at home for Northampton, and Bath welcome my Harlequins to the wreck. In the PWR, Leicester will be grateful for a bye week, undoubtedly, while on Friday, Trailfinders will face Sail Sharks women. On Saturday, the Saracens women face Bristol Bears women, followed by Loughborough taking on the Exeter Chiefs women. Uh, the other match for the round is, of course, Harlequins, uh, Harlequins women versus Gloucester Hartbury, but that game is scheduled for December 30th for reasons currently unclear to me, let's say. Over in France for the top 14, we've got a Friday double with the other five all on Saturday. It'll be Perpignan versus Bayonne for our opener and Bordeaux-Begle versus Lyon. Then it's Montpellier versus Cast, Racing versus Oyonna, Poe versus Clermont, Stade Francais versus La Rochelle. Ooh, spicy one. And, of course, to close out the round, it'll be Toulouse versus Toulon. Could be another classic. Then, finally, in what I think is my favorite competition, the URC, We'll start the weekend with part one of this year's 1872 Cup. Glasgow hosting the first leg, followed by Ulster versus Connacht. On Saturday, Zebre are home for Benetton and Stormers host the Bulls. While on Boxing Day, we've got our Welsh Derbies, Cardiff hosting Dragons and Scarlets versus Ospreys, along with Munster versus Leinster at Thomond Park. The Derby between the Sharks and the Lions will, for some reason, come on January 6th. So, I mean, buckle up. It's going to be a weird few weeks, my friends. Well,
Well, my friends, that does it for yet another week. I always feel weird about the European action this time of year because right when you kind of get a feel for it, they go on a break. The good news is this is what I think of as the good break because it gives way to the festive derbies, whereas the next break is the one that makes you feel like you just got dumped or something. Either way, very excited for the upcoming break. I hope to get some special guests in here for a ton of bonus content in the week of the new year, so stay tuned on, for uh, more on that. I've got some really good ideas coming up. So to all of you, across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. It gives me great pleasure to be here today. Oh, that was neat.